this is The Socialized Recluse. My guest this time is something of a Twitter of your reunion conversation. The writer of film and the maker of things, MJ Slide, to talk about their now year-old monthly zine, Prismatic Slant, and the process and the life lived behind its pages. Along the way, we also cover dirt, homemade saunas, Detroit, canning, jams, the freedom of fan fiction, and the storytelling power of typeface. As ever, if you'd like to shout, scream, swear, say hi, or otherwise, my email is TWW at parentheticalrecluse.com. And now, my conversation with MJ Sly. I definitely agree with something that you said in in issue 11 of Prismatic Slant that there's like there are places in the world that call to you to us as artists and mm. humans and you know I've experienced it myself and you know I'm, I'm, but I've also and I'm sure you have too experienced sort of that awful flip side you know the place that wants nothing more than to suck the life out of you um but you've seemed to have landed on the good side and, and with Detroit, and you called it the first city that made you feel that it legitimately loves you back. So kind of broad here, a two-parter, one-and-a-half-parter. Um, what is it about Detroit that makes you feel that way? And 1.5, is it sort of a love at first sight, or has it been a steady growth and evolution since you've been there? Um, I think it has a lot to do with uh, the, the landscape and the people. Um, the city makes the, one of the reasons I was enticed with Detroit in the first place is because it feels like a city that doesn't give up. Um, that is just kind of like, I, I joke around that Detroit looks around and is like, oh, that's cute. We've already been through five apocalypses. Like bring it the fuck on. Like, come on, what do you got? I'll see your dystopia Um, and raise you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very much that I think the, um, I, it's the the lack of pretension, um, and not to say that it is without pretension, um, but I think it is a city that feels like people can just sort of like go about and and, and do things, mm-hmm. and it like doesn't like it doesn't have to be their entire identity. They can just have like interesting hobbies. Like I have friends of mine who are like, I don't know, I want to build an outdoor sauna, so like let's go do that, and people are just like making interesting things and booping around in their in their backyards and i feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of interconnection i joke around that it's probably the largest uh small town that i've ever lived in <laughs> um i suspect a lot of that has to do with the fact that there i mean the population has decreased massively in the last 35 years longer than that obviously it peaked in like the early 50s um and I'm not going to go into all of the reasons, mostly because this isn't a history lesson, and and also it makes me mad. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think the landscape. I I I've never lived somewhere so flat, mm. um, so big and flat, and that's incredibly fascinating to me. Okay. Um, and the I kind of felt a similar way about Oklahoma City. Right. Um, because Oklahoma City is just like a, it's like a it's a frying pan. It's like you have the city, you have the railroad tracks, you have the river, and then there's like nothing. And that's kind of how that's kind of how Detroit is. Um, it's very very flat, very wide. Um, 
and I, I, I also found it to be like thematically the most cyberpunk city in the United States. Like this very, yeah, post-industrial, like high tech meets low life, small sense of communities, just sort of like, I don't want to say eking it out, but definitely finding creative ways to like live and survive and thrive, uh, which feels, and then like obviously be like with the overshadow of the big three um, and and the the level of corporatocracy that is um, just super visible in Detroit definitely makes it feel pretty pretty cyberpunk. Yeah, so it's those kind of collisions of all these different things that just make it hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that you feel like they shouldn't quite belong together, but somehow they do. Yeah, it's a city of it's a city of juxtaposition. Um, yeah, 100%. And I like I like places of uh where I am I am constantly surprised and forced to interrogate sort of my own um my own biases, but also it's just like, hey, yeah, no, you should just come hang out in our backyard and we'll have a, a bonfire and like cook food from our garden and like make stuff. That sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, so, I mean, I guess for for lack of a better transition here, but it it does sort of work. That, I mean, you you know, the way you talk about Detroit sort of makes me think of you know your your zine and prismatic slant and how it really is this study in juxtaposition and in these collisions. And that's one of the things I just I I really love about it. And I guess since they're sort of parallel developments for you. Um, I guess this sort of makes this kind of a unintended year in review, so I'm a little bit sorry about that. But yeah, no, 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 you're fine. But, I mean, I just just published issue twelve. Yeah. So so, so I guess the, the timing, in, in spite of the nightmare of scheduling, um, the timing worked out well then. Uh, so I yeah. mean, it's like, so let's start a little bit broad here as we kind of dive into the the zine and its creation. You said before that mm-hmm. that somewhere like the I can't remember where, but that the zine is the way you prefer to express yourself to others. Yeah. And so what were you looking for, like personally and creatively, whatever, that the zine has given you? Um, I think there was a certain level of acknowledgement that I had to sit with with myself, Um, because while I definitely I've I've been making films since I was 16. Mm -hmm. And while I love film, it's a highly collaborative process um, and things move very slowly. And um, and while I am incredibly grateful for all of the things that I have learned in the various collaborations that I have, um, I think I do have this tendency to um, overcorrect in another direction because I've worked with so many creatives who are like <sighs> dictatorial as, as far as their vision goes. And I don't want to be that person on set. So I sort of lean more towards being like hyper collaborative and giving up like ground that I probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. um, to make space for other people. And I realized that there, I needed to find a medium that I could just say the things that I was feeling and experiencing and learning with all the flaws and complexities and contradictions and juxtapositions without nuancing it to death um 
and I've always had a massive love for editorial. Um, I just like, I'm anything that I do artistically, I'm entirely self-taught, but I'm that person who like buys a $60 magazine, um, (laughs) instead of buying a Blu-ray. Um, and that's been like, (laughs) like, well, why do you make movies? But I'm like, I mean, cause film is cool too, but like, I'm going to buy the magazine. (laughs) Um, and I like the, I don't, I like the tangibility of it all. Um, the digital zine format was kind of a compromise, mostly because the newsletter like wasn't scratching the editorial itch. Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to have more control. And that was really what it came down to was this idea of having a space on the internet where I like creative control was a hundred percent mine. Um, your your and, little garden of thought, so to speak. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, that was kind of that was that was the defining motive motivation. So it was kind of a way to balance then, like the collaborative requirements of film with the the solo desires. I mean, you and I are both ex, ex, introverts, and so that yes. that that it, you need. I guess I know for me at least. I mean, even after a conversation like this, I tend to be exhausted. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love, I love chatting yep. with people and I love chatting with you and it keeps me from going feral, but I tend to be exhausted by it at the end. Um, yep. and so I, you know, retreat into my, whatever shit I write. Um, so is it, it is a way then to balance that sort of the, the required extrovert with the real introvert. Yeah. And I think the, especially my relationship to film professionally as a first assistant director, um, as far as the things, the gigs that paid my bills, um, that is a, uh, it is a hundred percent a liaison role. Like you, you run, you run the show and you're the liaison essentially between above and below the line, which in film speak is just basically like the producers and all of the people who are making money, um, and then the and then the, the technicians and the folks who do the actual things, um, and you're sort of stuck in between that. And like I take that job really seriously because I spent a lot of my career early on um, being taken in by uh, by folks above the line who just didn't care about people's humanity. But the problem with caring about people's humanity is if you don't have support from above the line, uh, you get really tired and, uh, and then you, you, yeah, you kind of have to end up as the, the punching bag, uh, for everybody to make sure that like people stay safe and we make our day. And like, I don't know, like call sheets have pronouns on them because people shouldn't be able to be called the thing that they, they want to be called. Um, and so it's a lot of the job is a lot of care for other people. Um, and I wanted to be able to create something that was a form of care for myself. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> uh, so was there, I mean, was there like a specific moment that you can recall when you knew that the capital Z zine was your Detroit? Um, capital Z zine was my Detroit. Your creative Detroit, I guess. Yeah, I think the um, as as so many creatives, I think we uh, born out uh, born out of uh, absolute necessity. Um, 
I needed to find a, a way to pay for therapy. Um, <laughs> I get that. And I was tired of, like, writing things that um, I would, like, I, I find, and this is something that I think any writer can attest to, where it's just, like, there are so many brilliant things online that people charge money for. Mm-hmm. And so much of it isn't words. Mm-hmm. And I really struggle with that where it's just like how are people supposed to i think the the cheapening aspect of it and it's just like i'm not going to write these 3700 word essays and like put them on medium and like i'm also terrible at self-promotion like it's very funny because i think 10 years ago you were probably like I used to be really good at it mm-hmm. when I was younger, and now I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was in there, I, too. I was like, yeah, I'm able to do this. This is great, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm just like, fuck you. You know, that, yeah, that's... Yeah, I just, like, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, yeah, I and... just, I can't even, I can't do it anymore. I was just, I'm just like, okay, yeah, I made something, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, and now I'm going to go make something else. Bye. Yeah, it's 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 really just like if you would like to read this, cool. I appreciate that. Pay me things, and then I will continue to go do the thing. Yes. Like I do like that's and yeah, and I think like trying to find like I have been a writer since I was eight years old, and it has always been sort of in the back of my brain. I want to be able to do this in a way that this is the only thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that doesn't mean that I'm not going to pursue other hobbies or other interests or even have a day job. Like I don't, I had to get over the you're not a real artist because you have a day job thing a long time ago. Mostly because like the the film industry was eating me alive. Like I have a lot of autoimmune stuff that I had to deal with, and it just sort of all came to a head. And it was like your body can't do this anymore. Like you. Like, I look back at some of the, like, the nonsense hours that I worked in my early 20s. And I was like, well, yeah, no wonder you were an alcoholic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you, did you think you were like, you'd roll into bed at 4 a.m., your call would be 6.30, you'd show up, you'd work an 18-hour day, and then, like, what like what were you doing? You're almost 30 now. Like, <laughs> you're God. Like, yeah, just go dick around in the garden. Like, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of it was, like, a lot of it was out of out of necessity. Um, and also just a love for editorial. Um, and, and and seeing, I, uh, I'm i that person who's, like, ooh, but, like, what typefaces are we going to use? And, like, not as, like, and, and, like, I try to bring, like, excited curious kid energy rather than like pretentious only wear black graphic designer energy like i'm like no typefaces are cool because it is like it's a whole uh like it's a whole um like artistic structure that you can play within and like the fact that type can make us feel things is wild (laughs) yes it is it's very cool and so like yeah and like sort of Fussing around with the limitations of that, being like, I fell in love with this typeface, and the whole family cost four thousand dollars. Um, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, yeah, that's kind of the uh, like absolute, absolute necessity, scratching an itch, and um, in the form of creative control. 
I think that I like I've pretty much never possessed anything else that I've written. The only other time I felt that way is probably when I was writing fan fiction, which uh, which is kind of which is interesting. But I think that comes back mostly because I was I was doing it for myself because I loved stories. Yeah. Um, and like I really didn't like my fan fiction was never like I didn't really do it for like other people in the community to like read it. I was just like more interested in, Oh, like there's a side character who has a whole world that is not being addressed by anything that is happening in the main narrative. Like they'll just like throw in and off. Like one of my favorite moments there's, and it's still a story that I just was sitting in the back of my head where like in this third hunger games book, there's a character in there who um, they're like the two camera guys that are following Katniss and her who being around. And they talk about how like one of the brothers was locked under the city for five years Mm -hmm. to pay off some kind of debt that they never name. And it was like, he didn't see the sun for five years and that's how long it caught, like took us to buy his way out. And I was like, I don't, I want to write that story. (laughs) Like what? Is, yeah. Like let's let's do that. Like that's fascinating. Um, so yeah, love of love of love of stories, editorial, that sort of thing. Well, my my when my wife listens to this, she will love the Hunger Games reference. She is a Hunger Games nut. So, <laughs> so. she'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So it'll so congratulations, you you. I can promise you, you have already elicited a cheer. Um. <laughs> So I, I want to dive kind of into the nuts and the bolts here for a little bit. Um, like how much, how much, and we talked about typefaces and, you know, your, your, mm-hmm. your clear absolute adoration <laughs> of them would be more appropriate. Uh, how much does the design of the zine or the final expression of it f- in factor into or influence the writing you do for it? Um, or, or does it mm. not? Yeah, I think the, um, there was so the, I think the last uh, probably the last eight issues have been very um, sort of intuitive okay. because all I've had in my tank is the things that I need to be able to address as a human, um, and that's like and so the, the the design of it. There are certain like I have I've picked. I picked like three three different typefaces that are kind of the the universal like I use them in um <clears throat> in all of the uh in all of the spreads and like titles and and body text and subtitles and those sorts of things and and then um there's a there I I have a love for iconography as well I think it's fascinating that like people can communicate so much information with and with a with a tiny icon um and there's a there's a site called the noun project which is basically just like this massive icon library um so i was looking for an icon that sort of symbolized the thing that i that i was feeling for um for the overall look it's kind of got this like it's almost like part like i I wanted it to feel part scrappy and also part like 1980s science journal mm-hmm. um like the i think the influences are like uh, I, I feel like it's very like xerox xerox copied um 
and like and also like the the NASA identity guide. Like those are kind of like my two like my my two main influences mm-hmm. um, as far as as far as de- design goes for for this project. As far as the design influencing the writing, um, I've kind of gotten into a flow where it's like I know these are the specific things, like specific. Um, categories of content i hate that word but like that's what i'm going with right now Um, we'll call it shorthand (laughs) for something yeah yeah and um for so like the the culture list and then sort of that that section of like just wandering walks across the internet where it's just like this is really interesting and y'all should go about it um and then usually one to two long form essays and then a ton of like photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are like, those are the sweet spots that I had. Um, and, and just like based on where, where I am, like December's, December's issue was very text heavy because I was away from my second monitor. So it was just like, I don't have time to do complicated layouts because I literally just don't have the tools with me. Um, and so that one was really text heavy. And then November was all of my, like, was all of my 35 millimeter photography um, with very little text. Okay. Um, and yeah, so it was really, I, the freedom of it, um, I, like, McSweeney's is definitely kind of an inspiration. I can see Because that. of how liberal they are with, like, formatting and just, like, that sort of, I find some of their, I like, I wish McSweeney's like McSweeney's look and feel could meet Granta's content because like Granta hands down could wipe the floor with like McSweeney's content every single time Um, between that and like Tin House, which doesn't like their print version doesn't exist anymore. And I legitimately, when they were like, this is the last issue, I just sat on the ground in Barnes and Noble and cried. Cause I'm that guy. <laughs> um, so like, I think that's the McSweeney's as inspiration for look and feel. And then Granta where they're just like, yeah, I don't know. We're going to publish this 20,000 word personal essay. And I'm like, dope. <laughs> like, give it to me, please. Um, so yeah, those are kind of, that's kind of the way that I, I figure out the balance. And also just again, going back to necessity where it's like, okay, you still have to get this out by the end of the month. Yeah. So like, what can you do not over promise and under deliver? Um, and if you need to scale back, you should do that. And I think that's the nice thing about having entire, entire control. Like somebody, somebody, one of my subscribers was just like, what y'all are doing over at Plasmatic Plant is really important. And I was like, do they think there's more than one person? <laughs> like, no, it's just me. Like, it's just me, like, booping around, out, like, awesome. angrily muttering to myself in my bedroom. <laughs> 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 Trying to make InDesign not be stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you crack that, I think you'll... Uh... You'll make a lot of designers happy. I don't know. That's kind of the, oh yeah. Other yeah. than just like I don't know, stop crashing. Like, I, well, what are we? What are we doing here? You have one job. I don't. What again? I tell you. <laughs> so I mean, I th- this is a good part, time as any. I mean, like I mean, we talked the stupidity of InDesign, but I mean, what tools do you use 
to put it together? I mean, your programs, are there any? I'd be specific. Um, a lot of it is, um, I, try, I design everything in InDesign. Um, I use Grammarly um, for editorial, like for like copy editing purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great to a certain extent to, like one of my biggest things is just like, they're like, hi, this sentence is splintered. And I'm like, well, I want it to be that way. Or yes. they're like, these sentences are repetitive. And I'm like, well, yes. I know that. You are correct. That's the idea. Um, Or, like, but they'll be like, you're missing some commas. And I'm like, all right, I'll give that one to you. Um, (laughs) Give Grammarly their win once in a while. Yeah. (laughs) And and I use Lightroom for photo editing. Okay. Um, But a lot of it is just sort of like auxiliary stuff that's been kind of cool to find online. Um, I can't remember which Zine issue I brought it up in, but there's a... um, I've been learning about like uh, risograph printing. Okay. Um, and there's this uh, there's a software called I think it's called Spectralite, and it basically allows you to run your photos through what is a digital equivalent of a risograph. Okay. So you can have previews of what those images would look like, and you can tailor them to like the the color inks that you would have available on your specific machine. Um, so you can take that stuff, and like it can either live in the digital realm, or it can be files that you use for printing in the analog world as well. Um, and then, like the, a recent discovery was like the um, the New York public library system has a massive public domain archive of just the weirdest images one could think of. Um, and just being able to pull, pull from, pull from those. Uh, one of my favorite essays that I've written in the last couple of months is, Oh, the horrors. And I love that image that I was able to use. Um, just like a kid, like this kid in a ghost costume. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's about right. Um, and like, I wouldn't, because I don't have an entire editorial team or like, like a create, like I could have shot that image in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. but like, I don't have that capacity. So like finding ways to scratch that itch without, you know, waltzing into my friend's studio and being like, we're going to shoot a, it's a ghost photo shoot <laughs> for my 35 subscribers. Um, <laughs> But they think that there are multiple so ones of you putting it together. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah. The, uh, there are multiple MJ clones putting this together. Yeah, I think that they then might throw, be throwing some people. to be like, they? Who? All of them would be like, yeah, Legion. We are Legion. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to start finishing every issue with We Are Legion just to really fuck with them. That'll be awesome. We'll be like, uh, well, I do. I mean, I talk, um, like, I live in a housing collective. Um, I live in a housing collective here in Detroit, and we're all, like, some variation of socialist, communist, or anarchist. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, we're, yeah, everyone, comrades. Like, that. <laughs> we'll be like, we'll be like uh, yeah, com- we are, we are legion. <laughs> bring it, bring it all, bring it all together. So, um, like, Putting a monetary value on my own work has always been difficult, and I, and I think it's really the same for anyone in a creative field. So I'm fascinated to hear, like, 
how you reconcile yourself to it. Like, so what factors go into your decision making, like on the price point of it? What is it like five or 10 bucks an issue, something like that? Yeah, it's sliding scale. And the, um, none of the, uh, none of the like BIPOC folks who subscribe, um, are, uh, like they're like, I, I'm like, you can subscribe at a sliding scale or you can have this thing for free. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, like, those are, those are the two, like, take your pick. Um, and some people can't pay certain, some months. Um, and I'm just like, that's cool. That's why I don't have an auto draw. Um, because it's just the, I, I know what it's like to think everything is going to be okay and then get hit with something at the end of the month that you're not expecting. And that shouldn't keep you from having things that bring you joy. Um, and I will figure it out because there are people who are also helping take care of me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the, like, we, we do, we do what we can with what we have with the best intentions. And if that's like a friend of mine is like, yeah, me and my boyfriend are saving up for a house. I like, I need to, we have to pinch pennies. And I'm like, that's perfectly fine. She's like, you don't have to, like, you can take me off the subscriber list. I was like, it's actually just more work for me to do that. (laughs) So like, you could just keep reading. It's really okay. Like you've also been my friend for like 15 years. (laughs) It's going to be fine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, figuring out monetary, I think it mostly just the, I think the hard part, the hard part with like subscription, anything and and sort of the like the place that we're in in the world right now is like how do we put a value on anything? Yeah, because it's like food prices have gone up what twelve point six percent. Like inflation's absurd, and it's just like I I understand why that apple <laughs> is now two dollars, but like it doesn't help me because there isn't more money in my pocket. Right. So I think like the, but like we need art to stay alive. Um, and we, we have to, we have to figure out a way. Could I have done this when I lived in Los Angeles? Absolutely not. The, like, it was too, it's too, like, there were, there were very few creative luxuries, quote unquote creative luxuries when I lived in Los Angeles because everything costs so much money. Um, so like, I would not have had the like mental, creative or financial capacity to have this amount of flexibility living there. Um, and, but now I live in a housing collective and in Detroit where things are a little bit like are a lot more reasonable. And there are people, like I'm not siloed in the same way I was in Los Angeles just because like. Yeah, Detroit might be a town full of cars. Like, it's a car town as well for a variety of reasons. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, I like it's, it, it, feel, it feels very different. Like, the, the experience feels very different. Um, so, yeah, and I, there are certain people who just, like, especially in the middle of the, like, we're all suffering mass. Like, we just went through, a, like, we're still going through a mass traumatic event that it's just, like, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop. Yeah. So when people don't pay for months, I'm kind of like, well, like, I'll, I'll follow up with them, but also, like, shit's hard. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> and I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, 
then, um, so I think it's really, yeah, the, the flexibility is very nice. Um, and I, I have a hard time with the idea that digital should be cheaper than yeah. print because the content is not, mm-hmm. um, understands that the, like I got really into canning, um, like canning and pickling and fermenting and all this stuff just like in the last, I don't know, eight months. And like, I wanted to give them as Christmas gifts, but I was just like really bummed because half the people I wanted to give them to don't live here in Detroit. And like to physically ship that to another person is more expensive yeah. than me rolling up to their front porch and like popping in on there and being like, look, now you have some homemade jam. Um, so like, I understand that there are things, um, there are things involved in it that just make it like make the print version more expensive. I am talking to a risograph printer right now who's actually one of my subscribers and we're doing a trade where they're basically like, I, I will let's, let's do a print version of like the best of year one of prismatic slant. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. hundred percent into that. Also, I get to learn a new skill. So, yes, please. <laughs> sure. Right, win-win. So, I, before we, we're kind of heading into the end here, but I, I want to step back and ask you about something um, that you said in the recent issues, that most of your art right now rests in the region of art therapy. And yeah. and I know, like, for me, um, writing in general, doing this show, and is that for me, um, especially over the last yeah. few years. You know, I think it's been more therapy to me than actual therapy was to me. Um, it also mm. probably helped put me into therapy, but that's a, another subject for another time. But how how is your work or the hobbies and stuff you take on outside of it? How has it helped you, and how does it continue to help you? I I like I was talking to a friend last night, and I said I think one of the things that humans are suffering from is like nothing feels real. Mm-hmm. Like everything feels so big and interconnected, and like just kind of makes your brain melt down so and the, just like the like we are in a post post truth yeah. and yeah. like kind of ecosystem at this point so like going going outside and like digging in the dirt and like starting a compost pile and like working working the earth feels real it like and the, the and even growing a garden where it's like I put a seed in the ground and then I tended to it and I weeded it and I watered it and it did a thing that made sense. And I think that the and just like the cons, the consistency, I think has been a been a huge part of it. Being like no you and also just kind of like the the mundanity of all of it um, has been been sort of an antidote to doom scrolling yeah um and have definitely been struggling with this idea of just like everybody has an opinion everybody's opinion is valid doesn't mean that your their opinion factors into the thing that you're doing with your life you do not have to take everything into consideration you are one person and also just reminding yourself that like no other time in human history have we had all of this access to the pain of other humans on the other side of the globe like our brains are not set up that way. We are not supposed to be like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we, we have an excuse to be non-empathetic. It just means we literally do not have the capacity 
Like, it's not how our brains are supposed to function. Um, and, and that, like, I've struggled with that because it feels, uh, it feels selfish. Because it's like, well, and it's, it sort of goes back to that thing where, like, my parents were definitely culprits of the, you need to eat your food, all of your food on your plate because there are starving children in Africa. And it's like, I can't, my food's not going to feed those starving children in Africa. Also, fuck Bill Gates. Um, but that's <laughs> that's a side tangent. Um, but it's that whole idea of like trying to be connect- like we are so infinitely connected. Why do we feel so lonely? Um, and digging in the dirt and writing things and creating helps me feel less lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a big one. Um, I get that. And and I think the um, and just having to do it and having to deliver and and but like knowing you owe that to somebody else, but also you initiated the thing in the first place. And like if I just like I don't know fucked off for a couple of months, I don't think anybody like because it's not auto draw. Anybody would be like, that's fine. Like I just take care of yourself. That's cool. Um, and yeah, I think as far as art therapy that's kind of a a long explanation but to sort of attempt to distill it in some way is I have a lot of feelings um a lot of these things don't make sense let's try to work this out the best way I can causing the least harm possible um and because there's been specifically in the last eight months uh a, a lot of uh, harmful situations like personally that I've been involved in and then that's like on the micro level and then obviously on the macro level like the 2020 uprisings COVID lockdown like me and my partner of two and a half years like we were like we had a quarantine breakup um like it was just a lot there's just a lot and it was just like I need to I need to find I need to do some things with this or I'm gonna go crazy also I'm uninsured so like therapy is expensive like <laughs> like just going back to that idea of like absolute necessity where it's just like well you can either do that or like not get out of bed and and relapse and you don't want to do either of those things so let's just try something else and see what happens. So, so it it both gives you a purpose and it gives you a connection to something. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm always, and I guess I'm just consistently surprised how many people care, um, and how many people connect with it. I think I mentioned that in my in my last scene, where it's just like I am always surprised and perplexed when people find things more relate like more relatable than I assumed they did. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you connected with cool. I just thought this was like very obtuse and incredibly specific, but it like the again going back to that quote from the director of Turning Red, where it was just like specificity is the new authenticity. I love and like that, that yeah. is always like my work has always been like I've tried to stay in my own lane and be like, gotcha. these are the things that I'm doing and exploring and I wanna make space for other people. But like these are the things that I know that I need to speak to. Um either that or I will implode. So I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I prefer you not implode. 
I want to kind of bring back a question I used to ask my guests, but I, for some reason or other, I stopped. But I, but I, I genuinely really want to hear what you have to say. What's a medium you'd most like to play with that you haven't? Ooh, radio plays. Oh, they're fun. Yeah. They're I grew fun. up on radio plays. Like, yeah. I'm dyslexic. So, it like, the, um, it, like, audiobooks were the first way I fell in love with words. Okay. Um, and so, like, that was, my mom figured, because I was homeschooled, and my mom figured out pretty early on that, like, I had, a, like, I show, it's fascinating, I'm a writer now, but, like, it, like, me and words, I can remember, I was, I was probably six, and, like, I had to write, like, a Christmas card to my grandmother, and I just sat at the table for hours just sobbing, because it's, like, it, they, the things would not form under my, like, it just, it all just felt like garbly gook. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started listening to audiobooks, and then like it was me on Saturday morning with the radio, and there was like one um, one radio. I don't what are they called channels? That's sad. I can't remember station. Station. Um, <laughs> and um, that would play all of these like old radio plays from the forties, like the thirties and the forties, um, and really got into that and. I love narrative podcasts. Um, I I specifically love like full cast, like narrative podcasts. Um, and so yeah, I think the I think doing like a radio play or a narrative podcast would be like that's something that I would find just fascinating. Yeah, that that's on my list. That's on my back burner list of something I want to do again. Yeah, I did the radio show a few years, like what ten years ago, and that was the most fun I ever had. Um, working yeah. with other people, and so, but now, now that I'm doing the podcast here and stuff, it's like, okay. I, I want to. I've got that radio itch. I want to. I want to write one of these again. Hundred so. percent. So, uh, this is usually the standard final question: is where can people connect with you and subscribe and all that good stuff? Um, I'm actually kind of hard. It's kind of hard to get a hold of me, which is slightly purposeful. Um, easiest way, honestly, is by email. Like, if you just want to shoot me an email, it's mj at junk j u n k inc i n k films dot com. Um, I do have an Instagram handle. It's private. It's just at mj underscore slide. I'm very selective right now about the people that I um I'm letting into my life. Um, I'm working on my own, like rebuilding my website right now. Um, so when that goes live, it, the, the people who are already, uh, like privy to the information will be around. Um, but yeah, those are, those are kind of the easiest ways. Um, I <laughs> tried to limit the, the places, um, that people can get a hold of me, uh, simply because of like just capacity and, and also like yeah so i think that's the i'd love to reach out if somebody finds something interesting that's super cool um it's not from like an exclusionary sort of uh or like more important than like i it's not a holier than thou kind of thing it's just like a um i want to be able to give people the time that they deserve and by limiting it um, it sort of weeds out just like the general, like we should collab on something, and it's like, well, yeah, that's great. Um, sure, what do you have in mind? And then like eight months later, they they don't reply. 
and it's just like i what was the intention here yeah so <laughs> so uh so yeah so thank you for doing this has been great and um so, yeah. so for what it's worth i just wanted to tell you that i have long been absolutely fucking jealous and inspired by your talent and your work and for like all these years that we've known each other i mean way back in the days of twitter yours so please keep doing what you're doing oh um, it's like i think of, i think about like i think about like when twitter before twitter was like an absolute test pool i'm like those were good times those were just like people helping out people and like 20 just like having a like it was just fun it was nice oh yeah. eight <laughs> to about 2010 and then it just all went to shit Yep. But yes, yeah, so please keep doing what you're doing. Um, so thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so I mean, I, I can't wait to see what new stuff you've got coming out. And I will definitely. Well, and even like, like your book, I I still read your book. Oh. Like I still read Transmedia. Yeah. So like that's still like a thing. I think it's because it like it plays to all the things that make sense to me. Where I'm like, oh yeah, these are all connected. Like this is how all of these things talk to each other. Like that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad someone's still getting use out of it. I don't even know if it's still in print. So, although I'll, although I did get, I finally earned out. I finally got my first royalty check um, in October. Whopping, How did that feel? Uh, that was the sweetest fifty eight dollars I have ever made in my life. <laughs> oh, it is just like again, like we could have a whole conversation about just being like. People are like, oh, my God, you're in print. And it's like, yeah, I, yes, you are, in fact, correct. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, yes, yes, I am, you know, great. Um, but on the serious side, I am glad you still like it. I'm still I'm glad you're getting, you probably know at this point what's in it more than I do. So I'm glad you're, <laughs> uh, I'm glad it's, you're still getting use out of it. So, again, thank you so much for doing this. Many thanks to MJ for the reunion chat and for the insane amount of creative ideas they've sent to the uh, percolation folder within for my own work. But I'm still jealous. As ever, if you'd like to shout, scream, swear, say hi, or otherwise, my email is TWW at parentheticalrecluse.com. You can check out earlier episodes of this show at parentheticalrecluse.com slash TSRpod. And if you've enjoyed this and those, subscribe via RSS, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast delivery system. Also, if you've enjoyed your time with me and with us in your ears, reverberating back and forth, saying so by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts would be most appreciated. See you next time. <laughs>